Thank you. Good morning, everybody. You doing okay? It's good to see a full house today for uh, for some baptisms coming up. We've been uh, going through the book of Jude verse by verse through that. So we're going to invite you to, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and turn to the book of Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It'll be on the screen for you. And we're going to begin in verse 17. But you remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh." I don't know what it is, but this Summer Olympics, I have been just glued to the TV. I, I don't know why I want to watch, you know, people, like, shoot arrows at things. I, I mean, that is definitely something that's pretty cool, and they do it in a competition. Anybody else watching the Olympics? Are you doing this? And um, the Olympics have been, have been really neat. And I've been watching time and time again. I've been watching um, stuff I don't usually watch, like women's soccer. I don't usually watch that, no, and I've enjoyed it. Okay, I've been rooting for the U.S. women. They, the other day, they got beat by Sweden. They, that, that game amazes me because these girls ran for 120 minutes. Right, and it's like the old saying goes: it's a bunch of people who need some exercises, or need some exercise, watching a bunch of people who desperately need to rest. Okay, and that's what you see. And last night, even as you were going through, they were doing the cross country portion of the Olympics, and they got these guys who are just bone thin because they run all the time, and they made about twelve or fifteen laps around this track. And at the and it's not really fun to watch until like the last five seconds of it because that's when they're hurtling down. But it's just you see the agony on these on these guys' faces, and as they cross the line, every one of them just collapses, and they're so exhausted. Even whether you win or lose, they burst into tears because they're at that that point of physical exhaustion. And it's <laughs> I did it. <laughs> okay, I get that's what I would be doing. All right, I'd be like call the hospitals. What happened if I had to do it? And they, they reach this point where they, I, I can only imagine about halfway through that race, they're at that point, and they're like, I don't know if I could sustain this. They're running with the most elite people in the world, and there was probably a point in that soccer game, I don't know if I can keep going another step, but that's what's amazing about these athletes. That's why we like to look at these and watch these. These are magnificent feats that they're, they're, that they're undertaking. And I want you to get this idea here. Jude, in this letter he's writing, to a church to encourage them to contend for the faith, to contend for the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, they are in, they, why do they need to contend? They're in a place where inside the church they are experiencing these people who are, buying, who are coming with false teachings, with greed and lust in their hearts, and they are harassing this church. And they're probably at this point now where they're like, this is going to be a tough road to get our church back to believing the right things. And they're getting exhausted by hearing how bad these 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 false teachers are and how bad this world is, and they have to be exhausted. Have you ever gotten that where you get like news media exhaustion? You ever been there? Like you can't watch another thing on CNN about terrorism. You can't watch another thing on the news about how bad the world is. You can't watch another thing. So what do you do? You try to find like the most mindless thing ever and watch it. I think that's why a reality TV show has taken off so much because you like, you'd rather watch people argue with each other than argue at your own house, right? 
like to watch other people do it. And I want you to just, just think about this. There are times when we get to this place, and I'm sure this church was of spiritual exhaustion, and they're like, how can we go on any further? Well, Paul tells, or Paul, sorry, that's usually in the New Testament. Jude tells us that, these, that, that they, we need to watch out for error, and then he gives us other ways in which we can sustain our faith. So I don't know about you, but I need my faith sustained because sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm running cross country here, and I'm about, we're about halfway through it, and I, my faith's about to give out. And I just need a little bit of breath. I need a little bit of motivation. I need something. I need the spirit to do a work in me that's going to push me on so I can cross that finish line. And that's what Jude gives these people at the end of talking about how bad these teachers are. He talks about watch out for them, but here are some ways that you need to, to continue to sustain your spirit. And we go in verse 17, and he talks again about these false teachers. In verse 17, he says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, this is not anything new for, for, for Jude to talk about. He's talking about these false teachers. But he is saying these false teachers were predicted. I want you to know something. When, like today, as you were walking out of here, if we were walking out of here, you would be surprised if someone jumped from behind the coffee bar and went "boo" at you, right? You're like, "I'm never coming back to that place." It was a freak behind the coffee bar who jumped out at us. But what if you knew that somebody was going to be there? I served in youth ministry for so many years, and it was just like kids would love to just like startle you. My son, he goes, he likes to hide places. He likes to get up underneath the bed, and when we walk out, Justin, where are you? He likes to grab our feet. It's a little bit freaky, but he likes to do that. Now, if you know he's there, because most of the time he's really bad at hiding. Like one time, he saw he saw his friend at the park. And they were playing hide-and-go-seek, and he was behind a pole like this, and he was hiding like this. <laughs> I'm like, Judson, what are you doing? I'm hiding, shh, Dad. What are you doing? It's not a very high spot. So when he, when he tried to jump out and surprise his friend when he was hiding behind a pole, did it work out that well? Was he really taken by surprise? No. Why? Because he knew that he was there. So I want you to know something. The, the attacks and the false teaching and the bad things that are happening in the world right now, in the last days, because the Bible, these, see, the Bible sees the last days as from the time of Jesus until he returns that we are in the last days. So don't get freaked out. This is not some kind of apocalyptic message like I'm going to tell you next Thursday, be ready, Okay. Anybody does, they're violating the words of Jesus, right? But I want you to notice, in the last days, he's saying, remember what the apostles have taught. In verse 17, he says, remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of the Lord, those who had seen the Lord's ministry and been given this particular ministry of, of, to rule the church and to lead the church at this time. He says, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord. He's doing this so they will not be taken by surprise. Why is it that we're continually taken by surprise when false teaching happens in the church and outside the church and when bad things happen? Why are we continually taken by surprise? We should not be. We should mourn. But we should not be surprised, and because that we remember in the last days, there will be these tough times for the church. But here's the good news about the church. The church does not exist in its own strength, but it exists in the strength of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, watch out. But remember, this is a prediction. We don't need to be surprised in verse 18. 
says this. They said to you, this is the prediction the apostles gave, in the last times there will be scoffers, mockers. Now, in particular in Jude's day, these mockers, these false teachers, they weren't directly mocking the Word of God like some do. They weren't directly calling the Bible antiquated. They weren't directly saying, just forget the Bible and live how you want to live. What they were really doing is they were using spiritual things to accomplish what we talked about. They were to fulfill their sexual desires and to get money and power. Money, power, and sex is what they were about. And so he's saying here, they were scoffing or mocking the word of God by how they lived. It's possible to scoff and mock God. Not Outwardly, you say, oh yeah, I'm all about Jesus. And inwardly, and, and then in your behavior, you mock him by the way you live. And they're saying, don't be, don't be alarmed. This is the way of the world. The apostles of Jesus, under the inspiration of Jesus, they told us this would be the way it was. You can go back and you look at 2 Timothy. Paul talks about this. And he goes and he gives warnings to the church that in the last days there will be people who mock the faith inside and outside. Okay? Then he goes on and says this. They're following their own ungodly passions. We've already seen that again and again in the book. These particular teachers he's talking about, they're going after sex, money, and power. We see in verse 19, it is these who cause division. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So what's happening is that these readers, these, these people that Jude is writing to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are in a church where they have people teaching false things, living falsely teaching false things, and, there, and because of that, there are divisions happening in the church. There's arguments happening in the church. These, it's caused by worldly people coming in and not trusting Jesus and not being united under one banner in Christ. They're preaching a different gospel, and so there's divisions. And if you've ever been in a household, a church, or any situation where there's constant bickering, you know how exhausting that can be. If you don't get exhausted... By constant bickering, you might be the problem in your household. Because you're, come on, it's time to fight. (laughs) Welcome home, shoo, okay? And so just get this. He's continually telling him to watch out for them, but he says, listen, as you're watching out, don't become discouraged that this is something that's happening new to you. Church, we are facing false teachings inside and out of the, outside of the church. We are facing hard times inside and outside of the church from, local, from governments, from people, from all over. But I want you to know something, that this was, God has it all in control, and no matter what's happening, he is in control, and no, he has predicted it beforehand. So in our, in, in our soul exhaustion and in their soul exhaustion from all the bickering and fighting that's going on, Paul tells them, not only don't, don't remember, just remember that, he says, watch out for these teachers, but he also says, watch out for your own soul. We must watch out for our own soul because we can become so beat down and tired as we run our Christian life, as we run this race of the Christian life. I mean, how tired are we anyway, right? How many times have you been at, at night where you are, you go to bed and you say, "I'm gonna." It's like nine thirty, maybe ten. Got kids in bed. You go lay down, and then you decide, "I'm just gonna watch Netflix for like thirty minutes." Next thing you know, it's one thirty because you've been binge watched something, and then you wake up the next morning and you're tired. And you're like, "I don't know how I'm gonna do this again." We're tired anyway because we find things to. Maybe I'm the only one. Everybody's looking like, "No, that's just your problem, sir." Okay. 
we find to fill our life with. We don't find rest. We just we find, we find something else to entertain us to keep our minds off of things. Our souls become so anemic and worn down that we have difficulties in life and we feel like we can't take another step forward. And we must take these moments to look at our soul. And has, here's what Jude says. In, in this church that's fighting, in verse 20, he says this, but you, beloved, he starts off with this great idea that he mentioned in the first part of the book. The people, the people of Jesus, those whom he has redeemed, are loved by God. They're loved by God. I got this in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet before he's even made. Before the world, he was called out to be a prophet. I want you to know something. That struck me with a huge weight. God knows all my fears and failures and faults and sins and the things that I am deficient in. And the fact that he knew that and called me into ministry anyway is nothing but the grace of God. And to know that you're beloved by God, I mean, that's a huge thing. Because sometimes, you, you know, you, you may, I may sometimes look like I have it together, but I want you to know something. I'm just held together by duct tape and Jesus, Okay. And I just think, it, and I gotta crawl up these steps some weeks when one week is more difficult than the other, and, and pre- preach God's word. And that's the great news. He called me before I was made, knowing everything about me, and and He called me anyway. And that's the same with it's a different different calling, but it's the same in salvation. If he, if you came to Him and you've trusted Christ by faith, it is not your own doing; it's His doing. And He called you before the world began. He predestined you in love. That's the biblical idea. And you are loved by him, even though you're a mess. That is unbelievable. And so he says, here is the first, here's the thing. Watch out for your soul. You need to know this. He reminds them of some some truth after he talked about the bad things in life and about these false teachers. He said, beloved, you're beloved by God, but you beloved, those who are loved by God, called according to his purpose, building yourself up in the most holy faith. If you have a pen and that's your Bible, go ahead and underline that, building yourself up. And then going on, he says in verse 20, and praying in the Holy Spirit, if you also have your own Bible or an app or whatever, highlight there, uh, highlight, highlight there the praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God. If you have your own, own copy of God's word, I want you to circle, keep yourselves in the love of God. I'm going to tell you why in a second, okay? Verse 21, it goes on, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have, again, underline, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Here's what happens. Here's one of the reasons that, that the Bible was originally written, especially the New Testament was originally written in Greek, okay? Because of that, Greek is a very precise language. And, it, and thankful, thankful to God, it's a precise language because our, our language is not as precise, okay? I mean, you think about American English, like, it used to be that you could say something was bad, and it meant bad, and then in the 80s and 90s, bad meant good, and now bad, we don't even know what it means anymore. Words take all, all sorts of I mean, we make up words, okay, all the time. You know that. We make up words all the time. And, and the rest of the world won't use y'all when no one else has, I mean, that makes sense. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about you all, right? So y'all, that makes sense. I mean, nobody else uses that besides this part of the country, okay? So we have a very imprecise language, 
But this is a precise language. I want you to know something. There is one command given in this, this spot about how we are to watch out for our own soul. And here is the command. It's actually in verse 21. The other things that I had you underline are actually participles. And what it is, they modify and tell us how we are to do this command. Here's the command in verse 21. Okay? Here it is. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I want to acknowledge something. There's a tension here. They're beloved by God. They're beloved by God. The only way they would have come to from, pass from death to life is to be loved by God beforehand, okay? But also the Bible tells us that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Does that seem a little bit difficult to understand, right? You can't come to God unless he loves you first, but you got to love him and you got to keep yourselves in the love of God. Okay, there is a beautiful tension in the Bible, and tensions are not bad. This is not a contradiction, it's a tension, okay? Tension is, is something that is, 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 is very important here to understand. There's a tension between divine sovereignty, where God is the ruler, God is the one who loves, God is the one who seeks out the sinner, God is the one who continually keeps those people who come to him in faith. That is a biblical idea. But on the other hand, we're given these commands of human responsibility that not only we kept people, but we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. So we're going to explore that tension more next week, but I just want you to know, it's just gloriously there in the Bible. If you're in Christ, it's not your own doing, but if you stay in Christ, it's his doing plus your doing. I don't understand it, but that's the biblical idea here. And so here's the, here's the idea. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the place where you're experiencing the love of God. That is the command. And then here's the beauty. He tells us how to do that. Because have you ever noticed that sometimes as Christians, we say words and say ideas that don't mean anything because they're kind of cliche? Let me give you an example. We're just going to love on that person. We're just going to love on it. First off, if you're not a Christian, you come in and someone says you're going to love on somebody, you're like, what is going on? Okay? And if, what, is it, what does that really mean? It means we want to show them affection in Jesus so that they would be encouraged, right? But a lot of times we just say the words, and sometimes we leave it as this broad general stroke, right? We're just going to love on them. What does that mean? Because a lot of times every church thinks that they're friendly too, by the way. We're friendly, and that's not always the case, all right? You've probably been there. Hopefully it wasn't this one, okay? If it is, talk to me. I'll give you a hug, Okay? And we'll work on it. But we, have, we say these things and we don't put a precise meaning or what does it mean to love someone? What does it mean to look like that? So here's the beauty of the scriptures. He says this, this really, and if I was to say this phrase, we'd get a bunch of amens and rightfully so. We got to keep ourselves in the love of God, beloved. Amen, brother. I don't know what he was talking about. Beauty of this is in the participles that modify this command of keep yourselves in the love of God. He shows us how we are to keep ourselves in the wheelhouse of the love of God. And here's the beauty of it. The three things that I had you underline, those are the three things. And here's how we know we can keep ourselves in the love of God. Look in verse 20. It says, "This beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. This is how you keep yourself in the love of God. This is how you watch for your soul when it feels like you are at the point of spiritual exhaustion. You have to do this in verse 20, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, what does that mean? Actually, instead of, instead of in there as the participle, we want to change that to 
on. I think that's a better translation. So let me read that again with a different translation, probably a better translation of the original language. And it says this, building yourself up on your most holy faith. When he talks about faith here, we've seen this in verse 3. Faith is talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so he's saying with this change, he's actually having the idea of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ as being the foundation upon which everything we do, our whole lives, our whole goal, our whole purpose is built upon Jesus Christ and his gospel as the foundation, as the central thing. If a, if a house has a foundation issue, no amount of cosmetic things you could do will help it. For example, you put new flooring on a house with foundation issues, before long, the floorings are, are going to break, or if you've ever been in one of those houses that has those issues where the floor will bubble up, and before you know it, you're trying to put them out, okay, all over the house, all right? You can tell I've done some renovations before. <laughs> all right, put that down. And so we, th we think about it that way. When the foundation is off kilter, nothing about the house works properly. Nothing is level. I've been in structures before where you can drop something and like drop a, like a ball or something and it just kind of rolls to one side. My uncle's house, we had a pool table in his house and you would hit the balls and it would all go towards one pocket. It was the worst game ever. Because the first, first hit, there's like seven balls that go in there. And you're like, I don't know why we were playing this. There's like five left, okay? Um, that, that is the idea when there's this foundation that's not there, then, then you, the building will not work out. And so here is what he's saying. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? He's saying that by, you do this by building yourself up upon. What does it say exactly? Building yourself up upon the most, your most holy faith, building yourself up on the holy gospel of Jesus. That means having this idea where your whole existence, your purpose, your goal, and your life is centered upon and built upon the gospel. What does that mean? Everything you do, every desire, every purpose, every aim in your life is in everything that you do is first run through the lens of the good news of Jesus and his word and its testimony. What does that look like? It looks like this. Coming up, hopefully, at the, in, in November, we're going to do a marriage conference, okay? And, our, and listen, in our county... And in this culture, marriages struggle, don't they? And here's where it comes down to. We get to this place where we think that marriages are more contracts and not covenants. Contracts, we know what those are. Contracts say, I'm going to do, um, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I'll keep my end of the bargain up and do X, Y, and Z. So, for example, I'm gonna, it's like we do these vows. I'm going to love, honor, and cherish you as long as you do the dishes. Could you imagine if that was like part of the vows? And I'm going to love, honor, and cherish you as long as you help out with our eventual kids. That is not, that's a contract. You keep X, Y, and Z, and I'll do this, okay? And if you don't do that, then I'm out of my contract, and I can run this other way. Because it's not a covenant, a promise of God. It's, it's a contract, and you got to keep up your end of the bargain for this thing to work. And so that is how we think about so many things in life, until we put Jesus as the foundation and as the focal point and at the lens we see everything through. 
And then we see that the, the, the picture of marriage is actually a picture of the gospel from Ephesians chapter 5. And then we view marriage differently because we're looking at it through the lens of the gospel, not the lens of the culture, because the culture will say this, watch any romantic comedy ever. You're not, ju- you're not the one is what our culture says. Obviously, this isn't working out. We're having difficulties because you're not the one. That's an awful idea. Secondly, it goes on, and it would be like just using this marriage analogy again. It goes on and says, listen, I'm not experiencing as much romance as I think that I should because I've watched a lot of Sandra Bullock movies. And therefore, this contract should not be, is null and void. And the guys, on the other hand, are over there thinking, this is not the sexy marriage I was signing up for. You got a cold, and this stuff is rough, Okay. And because of that, let's break this. But the lens of the gospel, and we look at this is just one example of how we look at the lens and the foundation of the gospel. We have to stop thinking in terms of what our culture says and what our desires say because these very false teachers are being led astray by their desires. What do you do? You think about the lens of the gospel. And first and foremost at the center, you build your life upon that. You build your marriage upon that. Instead of looking at, you're not meeting my needs and you're not meeting my needs, you're looking at, how can I serve you as a husband like Christ loved the church? Because that's the lens of the gospel. Does that, does that make sense? And, 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 for, and for the wives, you look and you say, I want to love my husband and I, don't wanna, I wanna serve him and I want to serve him and I want to love him as he tries to lead us. And I know he's not the most romantic. And I know that scoundrel leaves his socks everywhere. But I want to love him because of Jesus. That's just one of many areas, and you can, look at it, you can look at it from some of you growing up and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life instead of saying, what do I want to do to make the most money? Or what do I want to do because that makes me the most fulfilled? Here's the idea. Why don't you ask Jesus first and look in his word and see what he requires and what he expects and what he desires for you, and it is a complete and fundamental change. See, the false teachers were building their lives on their own desires, And what he is saying is, you, beloved, you're different than these false teachers. They're devoid of the Spirit. They don't know God. You know the Spirit. You're beloved in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you need to keep yourselves in the love of God. By how? By building yourself up in the most holy faith. And what does that mean? You're building on the foundation of the gospel. The gospel is the core. The gospel, as revealed in the scriptures, is the core. As revealed in the teachings of the apostles, as given to us, that is the core lens, the foundation of everything in our life. And I want you to know something. If you are constantly in the word of God and you are constantly in the gospels, you will not have to worry about false teaching. You know why? Because you won't be gullible. Because you're going to be like, no, nope, that stinks. That is awful. Stop that. Okay? That is, what, that is what's going down. And then he says, not only watch your soul, keep yourself in love of God by building yourself up in the most holy faith, by, by building yourself on the foundation of the gospel. Then he says this. He says in verse 20, he says this, praying in the Holy Spirit. There are some that take this to be... Um, to be this idea of an ecstatic utterance, but that's, that's not the idea here. It has more idea of, of Paul in Romans. We talked about that we don't even know how we, to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercessions for us, okay? 
and he, he teaches us to pray. And so here's the idea of praying in the Holy Spirit. We've seen this idea. kind of goes back to even Jesus talking about abide in me and I in you and ask whatever you, you will and you'll have it. What's the, what's the preface to that? You're abiding in Jesus. You're understanding who he is. You're believing who he is. You're following his course of life. You're following the way that he has called you to live. He's, you're following the gospels. You're living with this foundation. So how are you going to pray? You're praying in submission to Jesus. And praying is something, I don't know about you, it's something I struggle with more than anything else in my life. And it's something I need more than anything else in my life. Because at at its core, prayer is communication between you and God. You need to think about that for a second. The very God who is the creator of everything allows you to speak to him. And how often do we, because maybe we're around it a lot, we just take it at, for granted. Like dinner table prayer. I'm like, you know, good food, good meat, thank God, let's eat. I mean, it just becomes this place where it's just like we just hammer out these things and we don't realize who we're praying to, we don't realize who we're talking to, we don't realize the privilege we have, and also our souls become anemic and beat down because we think we need to fix things as opposed to speak to Jesus. I want to give you this idea. I, was on, I had a phone conversation with somebody the other day, and sometimes I say things and don't realize what I've said until I got off the phone and my wife's sitting there going, did you know what you said? I'm like, no. <laughs> and I was on the phone and this person was struggling with an issue and I asked them this question, are you praying about this issue as much as you're talking about it? And my wife in the other room was like, what are you, dang, <laughs> okay? And, and I said that, and then we, a conversation finished it. You know, I wasn't trying to be ugly. I was just trying to help this person out. And then we, 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 we finished, and we prayed, and I hung up the phone. She goes, did you know what you just said? I was like, what? <laughs> did I say something bad? She's like, you said, you asked her if you prayed about this thing that you're talk, that, that's bothering you as much as you are talking about it. That, that, that cut me to my heart. And I said, well, that cut me to my heart. I didn't know I said that. And you think about it, how many times have we been through tough times in life and what is our first inclination? Let's get together a bunch of people. Let's talk about how bad things are. And we're just going to hash it out and just, we're going to solve all the world's problems. You know what that does? Nothing but probably make you angry and probably make you identify. You know who's the problem? <laughs> probably Matt. <laughs> and you get to this place where he's saying you want to build yourself up in the most holy faith. He, he says, watch out for these Definitely watch out for these people, these false teachers. Build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. And then he says it's praying in the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. He said, don't sit around, now that you've identified it, don't sit around talking about how bad they are. Come to me and pray in the Spirit for the church's health, for your growth, for the advancement of the gospel, and just commune and be with me. You know, I, it's one of the most awkward, yet I think probably one of the most fulfilling moments we have at this in our church gatherings and our worship time together is when we pass out communion. And I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge it. It gets awkward. You know why it gets awkward? Because it's quiet for a little bit. We don't like it, do we? Just that awkward silence. But how many times do we see God in the Scriptures communicate with His people in times of quiet, through that still, small voice. 
How many times does Jesus talk about prayer? And he talks about not praying in public, but going to that place of the prayer closet and praying there before God so that nobody else can see you but running to him. And I want you to know something. There is a He is calling these people not just to outward outward devotion, but to inward devotion in which they run to God and talk to him in prayer and commune with them through his word and through his spirit. And how desperate of a need is that in our lives? Aren't you busy? Even if you're not busy, you're busy. Time is going so quickly. We feel like butter scraped over too much bread to steal an idea from the Lord of the Rings. We feel like there's not enough time, like the stopwatch is going and we're rushed and we feel like there's not enough time in the day and we feel so scraped thin. And we, what tends to suffer most is this idea of coming to God in prayer and lighting the furnace that he has already lit fanning the flame of our faith through prayer. And if we are feeling that place, I want to get you this. If you're in this place where you're spiritually just hanging on, two things I ask you to do. Number one, run to his word and run to a quiet time of prayer. Because what does he tell these people? Are they supposed to watch out for the false teachers and contend against them? Yes. But you know what else you do? Keep yourself in the love of Jesus. How do you do that? Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Build yourself up upon. Make it the central core lens by which you see everything as the gospel. And then what? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Commune with Jesus. You know if a person's been with God and if they haven't been. You do know that. It's very evident. I know when I've been with Jesus and when I haven't been. And my family knows too. you got surly, grumpy Matt as opposed to somebody who can deal with the things of life from a standpoint of faith and grace. It's a difference that's made there. And, and, and so we need to watch that. And then it goes on to say not only this, it says this. Keep yourselves in the love of God being the major command. Then it says waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting, that is the word there. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. He's obviously talking about when Jesus returns and when his mercy is finally seen and we will spend eternity with him. And some of us, we're waiting for Jesus like kids wait for a school bus. And that's not good. Besides the first day of school, when kids wait for the school, but the first day of school, everybody's looking fly. They got their nice clothes on, okay? They're waiting for that bus to show up. And that first day, they're walking in looking good, excited. They got brand new pencils. They got brand new paper. They're ready to take notes. And then what happens? Day two, day two rolls around. And you try to get them up. I don't want to get up. And they're standing out there angry. <sighs> agitated, stressed by the homework. And we got some students in here. Can I get an amen on that? Am I right about that? All right. There's one kid's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love it. Okay. <laughs> that, that is how we sometimes go and think about waiting for Jesus. We're waiting for his glory to be repaired. And there's this idea that we are being saved. And there's this idea that we will be saved. We will enter into eternity when he appears again. 
in the scriptures, and that's what we have in line here. And it's they're waiting for the mercy of God to be evident when the Jesus returns. Okay, so how do you do? How do you keep yourself in love of God? We've seen it. Build yourself up in the faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit, and then you keep waiting for the mercy of the Lord to appear. And some of us we wait like we're those kids on the school bus. We don't, we don't think about the destination that we're going as glorious as we ought. So you know what we do? We tend to live only for now. And when you live with only for now, you, you live in the carnal desires, the desires of, you, of your flesh. That's exactly what the false teachers were doing. They had no idea that their false teaching was going to lead to pain in eternity. They had no idea of the facts, of the weight of eternity that is, 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 it hangs in the balance. They had no idea of the glory of Jesus. They had no idea of the eternal life that they were throwing away for this eternal destruction that they were going to see. I want you to know something. We must live with an eye towards heaven. We must live with an eye towards the mercy of God. We must live with an eye towards eternity. Because if we do not, we will never live as spiritual people. We will only live as those who fake it on Sundays but live carnally and live in the flesh and our desires otherwise. Because here's the thing. Why would you ever deny a desire if this was all there was? Let me say that again. Why would you ever deny one of your desires if you're only living for right now? Because it, be, it would be this idea. If this was all there was, then let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's party it up. However, when there's an eternity in the balance and there's a Christ that's risen and there's a mercy that's coming and there's a destruction that's awaiting for those who do not submit to the king, when that hangs in the balance, life changes. And so we don't live for our desires because we live for something greater. And that's what he's calling, calling us to. How many of us are earthbound? How many of us only thing we think about is this week, tomorrow, this moment, and we don't live in light of eternity. And if we don't, have, if our, our if our gaze does not go farther than now, we will never be able to sustain our spiritual life because there is far more ahead of the believer than there is behind. And there is enough mercy and grace and glory to keep us going now. And so he says, in light of all this stuff, just keep yourself in the love of God by building yourself up in the most holy faith, by praying in the Spirit, and then finally how? By waiting for the mercy of the Lord, to, the, the Lord Jesus Christ to appear. And then he goes on to say, not only watch for error and watch for your soul, but also watch for the souls of others. See, do you remember the two greatest commandments Jesus told? Like, this is, if you can get this down, you will understand how to live morally within the framework of God's, God's world. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, minds, and strength. Jesus said all of this sums up the, the, the law and the gospels, okay, law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you can get those two things right, a lot of things that are complicated in the scripture kind of come into focus, Okay, so really he starts off with this. If Beloved, you're going through this time. Watch out for these hearers, but keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay in the word. Stay in the gospel. Keep praying. Keep waiting with a hope towards heaven. And then he says this. He goes on, and he gets to this place. He's, he talks about the, 
Not only should you love God, but you also love your brothers and sisters who are struggling. And it goes on in verse uh, 22. It says this, have mercy on those who doubt. Now, I bet you some of you, if you were to write your story based on church, previous church experiences, you would have thought this verse should read, correct those who doubt immediately and vehemently. Right? In fact, there are some, there are some variations on this text from, from other sources that some people tried to write in different words than, other than this one. In fact, the word rebuke, there was a similar word to rebuke in the Greek language that they tried to pencil in here, a couple of scholars did. You know why? Because it's not real. We, we don't like this idea of, of being merciful to those who doubt. Why? We're big truth people, right? We really are. We got the truth. The truth's been delivered. Jesus is the truth. The word of God is the truth, okay? I'm going to take you to a situation in which when I was in college, this, this young man kind of came in off the road and decided to come to our college ministry, okay? His name was Tony. Really, he got yeah, long hair, like got, got Clint, long hair, you know? But Clint, this dude had like a serious beard. Clint's got a nice beard, but this guy had like, like one of those like like, you, knew, you remember the beard, okay? Those of us who were beard connoisseurs, like the guy had a beard. He walks in, and he had never really been in church before. And we're sitting in this Bible study, and we start talking about a tough truth in Scripture. And he, Tony's like, raising his hands like, man, I don't know, you know. You know, the Bible's been changed over the years, and we don't know if we can believe it. That is complete hogwash, okay? First off, just want you to know that. And, and how, how, how can you approach this person? Well, understand this scripture, you should approach them with mercy, right? You know what happened? These guys in this class turned on this man like, like wild wolves. There's no way! Blah, 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 blah. And Tony's like, whoa. Though the scriptures are very reliable, it's got more uh, you know, uh, manuscript attestation than any other book in history. And it, oh my gosh, and he was like, his head was swimming, he was like, whoa. Did he need to be corrected? Most certainly, because under, believing that can lead you down a road that leads to all sorts of evil and ultimately to hell. However, what did he need? He needed mercy. He needed mercy. So here's the thing. There are people in Jude's church, the ones he's writing to, who are being, they're kind of on the fence. They're being persuaded by the false teachers, but at the same time, they're trying to hold to the gospel. And instead of saying, let me tell you something, get in line, son, what does the scripture say? Have mercy on those who doubt. So I enjoy being a part of this church because by and large, that is what we do people who don't have it together. Theology is kind of, their understanding of God is kind of murky. We don't kick you out. We invite you to come in and see the word. We don't change the truth, but we try to help you understand the truth. And I've just been thankful that you be a part of a fellowship like that. I want to continue to be that because here's how we need to approach one another. When one, of, when one of us is in error, we must be careful to approach one another in mercy. And that's not me. Oh, you got doubts? Well, you obviously have some serious, serious spiritual problems, and you need, and being really harsh, and no, have mercy on those who doubt. But not to be left there, okay? Because some people, we, we, tend to, we tend to go to one extreme or the other, right? You've seen, I've seen a person who, who got really into CrossFit, okay? 
So I know this person, and they were, they were very overweight, and so they decided they're going to get healthy, okay? And so she was very overweight and used to not care about anything but eating junk food and that kind of stuff, okay? Then she got on this health kick, CrossFit kick, and then she went over to this place where only thing you see now is her preaching the gospel of CrossFit. Okay, and how any food that's not clean is bad for you. And so she goes, this girl and everything in her life, it's like one extreme or the other. You know anybody like that? You probably are. We go from one extreme to the other constantly. And here's the beauty. The Bible scholars have talked about this all the time. There's a balance that has to be struck from these extremes. It's faithfulness truth. Keep us on track. And so here's the thing. Some of us would default towards mercy, which we wouldn't talk about truth. But then he gives us this idea in verse 23. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. So he says, be merciful to those who doubt. And there's other people who are really starting to abide these doctrines. And he says, you need to get tough with them with the truth. You know why? Because not believing in the gospel and not and having a misunderstanding of the grace of God will lead to eternal hell. Do you realize, like, this isn't, this isn't a light, pithy matter. When we talk about the good news of Jesus, it's a huge, big deal. It, eternity hangs in the balance. Whether or not you repent, eternity hangs in the balance. Whether, your relationship to Jesus, it determines your eternity. It determines your life. This is not a small deal. So he says, have mercy, be loving to those who doubt. But there are some, you need to snatch them from the fires of hell by being tough and sharing truth with them. So there's this idea that we must be merciful and filled with truth. Because if we're not merciful, we're not displaying the mercy of Jesus, which he has so lavished upon us that none of us deserve anything but hell, but he gives us life in Christ. And then on this other hand, we must not be soft on the truth. We must snatch people from hell because the, the truth that we have is like really true. It's not just something we just believe in to make the time fly. It's the truth about reality. And then he says, finally, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. What does that mean to show mercy with fear? It's this idea he's reinforcing it. Some, we need to be merciful to those who doubt. We also need to save some by snatching them out of the flames. And we need, to be, we need to be merciful with fear, which means we need to watch out because as we are trying to be merciful to somebody, that does not mean we should condone or even participate in their sin. Do you know it's real easy to fall into sin? Do you know why? Because our flesh is defaulted towards sin. Don't believe me? How hard is it to act merciful when somebody's really, really making you mad? How easy is it to be selfish and how hard is it to be generous? How easy are all these things? We are defaulted towards this. And it's Christ that changes us and changes our nature, but we still struggle with the flesh. And so here's this idea. There's a, there's a wisdom here. We need to be merciful to those who doubt, those who are, are led astray by false teachers. We must be merciful to them and teach them with all mercy and gentleness. And we're not looking for fault. We're trying to show them the goodness, okay? At the same time, we must save those, snatch them out of hell. We must never, in our mercy, we should never compromise truth. But we should also, at the same time, we also must be careful because sin is always enticing. And so we must show mercy 
but we must show mercy with fear. Fear what? Fear God and fear us falling into this place that he would be, dis, he would be, dis, dis, he would be sad and displeased by how we lived. Because he says, hating even the garment stained by sin. I want you to think about it. some of us today, some of you may be on the pinnacle of life right now. Your spiritual life is going great, okay? You, you, it's just, stuff is great, and bless God for that. But some of us might be in this place where we are in, we are, some of us may be coasting, some of us may be at the place, I can't take another step. I am so worn out spiritually. You might have seen fighting in the church. You might have seen ungodliness in the church. You might have seen and been exposed to false teachings that are, are just weighing you down. And, and, and I want to give you this, this hope for, for sustaining, sustainability. And here it is. You must keep yourselves in love of God through his word and through his prayer and waiting for him to come. And you must love others. And you must, you must love them, show them mercy to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the pit. And not only that, you must show mercy with fear waiting on this. Today, we are going to, in just a few minutes, celebrate something I think will encourage you more than anything that I've said. Or these, these six candidates that are coming forward to be baptized, they all have a testimony about the fact that Jesus Christ saved them and has made them new. And I want you to know something. This is, this is, they are getting to preach to you today because in this symbol, there's a death, a burial, and resurrection. And they say in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was for me. I've received it by faith. And in doing that, we remember this. Do you remember, child of God, when you were so far away and your sins hung around you like a weight, and you were drowning in the sea of despair, lostness, and you knew that you needed Christ, and all of a sudden, light broke through in the dungeon that you were living in of sin, and you saw his grace, and you realized his mercy, and you think again, by God, I am alive. And how will, how will we be sustained? It's through those things by keeping ourselves in the love of God. But it's also remembering what Jesus has done. And the writer of Hebrews says it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we run this race? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I had this shirt, t-shirt in high school, and we'll be done with this. I had a t-shirt in high school that it was one of those kind of cheesy Christian t-shirts, but it was one of the better ones, okay? Because this one, it had an eyeball, okay? Or like an eye on it, okay? And in the middle of it was a cross, okay? So it was kind of, in during the day, it was just a regular t-shirt, but at night, the thing glue in the dark, so when we were walking out, people would just see this eye with a cross in the middle of it as I walked to them in the darkness, okay? And I know that image just kind of thinks, as you are walking through your darkness, do you know the only thing that will keep you going towards Jesus is remembering the grace and love of the cross of Christ? And as we get, we're going to bow for a minute and pray. Our band's going to come up and lead us in a song of surrender, and then we're going to get to celebrate baptism. So if you would, let's bow for a minute in prayer, and let's be quiet for just a second. God, we come.
We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the challenge to keep ourselves in the love of God. We pray today that you be honored in everything we do. We thank you for this symbol of baptism that we'll be celebrating. We want to give our hearts to you and surrender. God, let us worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and baptismal candidates, come on up here. Jesus, I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. emotional because two of my girls are getting baptized. So, If you can, have a seat. I know we got some people over here. Um, we have six folks coming today to be baptized. Um, the first one we have is Jimmy Green. Come on, Jimmy. Um, Jim, well, not, not just, yeah, not yet. This water's cold, so we're going to get him in there one, in just a second, okay? And so here's what, here's what I like to say about Jimmy. Um, Jimmy gave his life to Christ at Vacation Bible School this year. Not ours, actually, but someone else's. So bless God, other churches are praising the gospel, okay? That's awesome. What church was it, by the way? What church was it? New Vision. All right, that's awesome. I pray, praise God for that. And so um, as, as that happened, he came to me a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a week ago, and talked about it, and, and he understands the gospel. 
Um, he realized through Vacation Bible School his sin and his need for a Savior and that Jesus was the only one. Jimmy, is that true? And today, are you ready to be baptized in front of everybody telling them that you follow Jesus as your Savior? All right, let's get on. That's a yes, by the way. He shook his head. All right, I want you to know. Come on in. <laughs> awesome. Hold on a second. Talk amongst yourselves. It'll be all right. Come on in, buddy. Them socks were tricky. Oh, you're, you're cool? All right, have a seat right here. Turn this way. There you go. Jimmy, it's on your profession of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Come on up here. This is one of the girls she was crying for. Because <laughs> this is a great day. This is Avery McAvoy. And she's, she's come. Um, about a week ago, um, she came to me talking about, um, want to talk about what God did in her life in Vacation Bible School, our Vacation Bible School. It was during Vacation Bible School that she realized her, her sin and that she's fallen short of the glory of Jesus. And she repented of her sins and trusted Christ. And she wants to follow him today in believer's baptism, which is awesome. Is that, is that all that? Did I say it right? That's right. All right. Are you ready to be baptized? All right. Come on. It's cold. Yes. It's Avery, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ your Lord, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Guys, this is, this is Levi, and he's come today. Um, yeah, we can hear for Levi. <laughs> uh, Levi has come today. Um, it's, been, it's been some time now where he has been dealing with this decision. He's seen his, he's seen his need for Christ, and he has trusted Christ, and he came. In fact, he didn't even ask mom, dad, or anybody last week when we announced baptismal service. He made a beeline and said, I want to get baptized. And I talked to his dad, and like, yeah, there's no reason because he understands the gospel. But he says, I want to make sure my family's there, and his family's here today, so it happens, okay? In fact, his dad's right here. He's recording, so this is pretty great. So Levi comes. Is it your profession that you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and now you want to be baptized in obedience. Is that your is that your confession here? Yes. Come on in. <laughs> Levi, it's upon your profession of faith as Jesus Christ is Lord. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> now, we got this, this tall guy over here. This is Robert. Um, Robert went to Student Life Camp with us this year. And it was at Student Life Camp where God showed him his sin and his great need for Jesus. And he trusted Christ at camp. But he didn't tell us. Because he wanted to come home and tell his mom and dad first. And I think that's cool. Okay, I'm cool with that. But then at, it was at the uh, it was at uh, church in the park. He came up to me and was like, man, I got saved. I want to get baptized. I was like, Okay, that's literally what I did. Okay, it's such an exciting thing. And so, Robert, is, is it your confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And are you ready to be baptized today? Come on in. I'll do my best. I'll turn you a little bit. You're tall. There you go. Robert, it's upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Now, got another story here. This is Kaylee and Amy's uh, other daughter here. This is, uh, this is Kaylee, and she's come uh, professing her faith in Christ because at Student Life Camp this year, yet again, she professed her faith in Jesus. And so we are coming today to baptize you. Is it your profession? You trust Jesus as your Savior, and you're ready to be baptized in front of all these folks. All right, let's come on. Kaylee, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Last but certainly not least is Miss Eileen. Miss Eileen has been a, a believer in Jesus Christ for some time, um, but she, she has most recently become convicted about what believer's baptism means, that it's a sign of, of being in Christ. It's a proclamation that his death and burial and resurrection was for her. And so she's come today following in obedience to be baptized. And this is a great day. So, Miss Eileen, we're going to help you in here. We're going to baptize you. Is your profession of faith that you've trusted Christ as Lord and you're ready to be baptized? Yes. All right. You're a tough lady. Yeah, that wouldn't be. We were joking that given all the Olympics, somebody was going to stretch. All right, they're getting ready for it. Have a seat right there. Let's see, I got you. Let me turn you just a little bit. <laughs> Miss Eileen, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. God has been good to us. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have the children's ministry starting to head out right now, if you would, so you can pick them up afterwards. Got two announcements for you to make, okay? I'm going to do a little Zacchaeus thing and come over here so you can see me, okay? Um, bad Bible joke time. Uh, actually, I can go over here. VBS, exactly. All right, so I'll go over here. Um, we want to invite you. We didn't have a chance to get together a potluck or anything like that. We want to invite you to come over to Hartsville Taco and enjoy us in celebratory Mexican food for what God has done, okay? Now, now the church isn't picking up the dime. You will go Dutch, but it's in love, okay? All right? So come on over. Just like let's inundate Hartsville Taco and just to celebrate the baptisms, you're welcome to do that. Um, secondly, um, I want to... Um, make the announcement that um, on the 24th, we're having a members meeting, which is on a Wednesday night. Start at 6 o'clock to eat, and 6.30 on, we'll have the meeting. Finally, last but certainly not least, if you work in the children's security, um, which you help us get kids checked in and out, we need to have a brief meeting with you. Um, go see Lisa and Ed Blair at the table out there after the service, okay? So, let me pray. We're going to be dismissed. What a great day. God, you're good to us. Thank you for new life in Christ. God, thank you that you sustain us even, though, even when we get to those times where we struggle. God, keep us in the love of God. May we build a foundation on your word, on your gospel. God, may we, may we pray in the spirit and may we hope for your and, and wish for your coming and wait expectantly. 
And until that time comes, let us love one another. Let us be merciful to those who doubt. Let's snatch others from hell. And God, let us be merciful with fear, even hating sin. God, you're good to us. Thank you for your blessings. You are so great. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you.